As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. We don't need a bunch of cats in here looking in the mirror. I'm bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. Guys being dudes. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man. Thank you, Lee. Fellas, back in much colder surroundings than the show last week, we finally have a national championship game coming up soon and an end to the season. And of course, like the zombified corpse that it has been multiple years, I will say, the coaching cycle refuses to die. It does indeed. A couple national championship games actually coming up this week. But the coaching cycle. Uh, Stephen Godfrey, I remember in the month of November. November 30th, to be exact. Oh, you went back and checked. Is that when I texted I y'all? Yeah. I so people do this all the time in media. And I want to note that, yes, they do this. And yes, it is annoying. But you're going to have to trust <laughs> my, trust my, my integrity. Dude, Richard had the receipts. I love it. People, people do this a lot where they say uh, some news comes out and they say, oh, I had been hearing about this. And it's like, well, why didn't you report it? And the answer to why you didn't report it is tough to get all the sources on board to confirm Correct. it for you so that it, you can go with it in reporting. Uh, but I will put my public integrity out there that, that Stephen Godfrey, you did text us on November 30th and say, Something like, Richard, do you have the text in front of you? I do, actually. Read it to me. Um, because Is it I appropriate? It, it's, it, it is. Okay. Um, and it's funny because, Alex, I'm actually glad that you, like, you sort of mentioned sourcing because the text verbatim says, single source right now, but Harbaugh might leave for the Raiders. That is, Godfrey, that was November 30th, yeah. in the way that we talk about things. Mm-hmm. Um. And no, we didn't report it. I don't think a lot of people reported it. Um, It was just something that was scuttle. I ran it by a couple people in the league. And this is the thing, especially when you're dealing with a coach jumping to the league as college football main, mainly college Mm -hmm. football reporters. It becomes something where... Yeah, um, oh yeah, blind. You know, you... You really have to have. You'll note the tweet that uh, Bruce Feldman said. Bruce Feldman cited league sources and college sources in the fact that there seems to be some intrigue on both ends. It is 420 Blaze It, January 4th. Uh, so, no, I, the guy hasn't done an interview. I, nobody has any idea. It is just an there is interest right now, um, reportedly. Uh, I had heard last week. Uh, while in Miami, that Harbaugh was less than thrilled about the pay cut 
that he got or the whatever restructuring, whatever you want to call it from Michigan at the end of last season. So there, there are reasons to believe that at that, uh, beyond anything else, this may be a thing where he gets back what was uh, taken from him, if you want to put it that way, from Michigan at the end of last year. This leverage combined with, obviously, taking Michigan to the playoff and beating Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So Bruce Feldman at The Athletic did get enough sources to go ahead and report this. And it's I, a, a trustworthy reporter. It makes sense. But Godfrey... Uh, I want to touch base with you because I know that you've been working on this topic for a bit. What's your understanding of why he might do this, uh, supplementing or an agreement or not with what Richard just said? Yeah, so the reason why I, I tweeted this out is not because I was trying to we've, – we've talked a lot about this on this show and on the Patreon show, SplitZoneDuo.com. Um, I don't care about people knowing what I know. or like I, There's no race. We here at Split Zone Duo uh, have no emphasis or demands on one another to be out there breaking news and doing that dumb shit. We don't care. Um, the reason why I just tweeted that out before we started recording was people are contextualizing that uh, against the Georgia game, and then some people were also speculating it had it, it had to do with like, oh, he just wanted to sort of win the Big Ten and move on, or it had something to do with Ohio State. It doesn't have anything to do with the Big Ten championship, losing to Georgia, or beating Ohio State. Some people are rushing to judgment and comparing this to Brian Kelly's exhaustion, alleged exhaustion of not being able to win the big games at Notre Dame and thus joining the SEC. I don't think that that's a smart thing to do right now. I, I really don't think that you should draw those lines yet. Is it possible that he could come out and say that? I Maybe, but I fucking doubt it because it's his alma mater. I don't think he's going to shit on Michigan on the way out the door. And he did literally just say in a press conference multiple times, this is the beginning, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. after they lost the I, game. Yeah, I think Richard's detail is the, is way more pertinent than, any, than a lot of the supposition that's going around, which is that – this is just how the game is played, the real game, the coaching game, contracts. Uh, he had to give some up. He had to give not just money, but he had to give, I think, some some equity, so to speak, up. After. They fired the whole goddamn defensive staff. I mean, <laughs> and they here's the deal. Buy out low. That's he's, the equity point. He's justified to do this right now, to drum it up, which is what I believe this is. He's justified to drum it up right now because you know what? He did. He beat Ohio State. He won the Big Ten. He went to the playoff. Okay, he did all the things that he was supposed to do short of winning a national title, which isn't going to happen right now. He was also Michigan was also in the right to to strip him of some power, to force some staff changes and to pull the money back. This is how the game is played. That's it. It's by the way, I, I don't know if this is a good transition topic, Alex, like uh, he'd probably be a good coach. Of the Raiders, too. Like this. Well, is, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's a pretty good. He has been a pretty good football coach just about everywhere he's been. His My life. He has to win as immediately as he did in San Francisco. Yes. Because eventually he burns everybody out. Well, and that is what's going to happen, especially with pros. I have a so uh, my my uh, secret base. I almost said explanation. Sorry. The cursed words. My secret base colleague, Alex Rubenstein, brother of Solid Verbals, Dan Rubenstein, we're all just one giant family here, is on staff with me at Secret Base. He's also a diehard 49ers fan. He made a great collapse video at Secret Base, and it kind of convinced me 
that really the downfall of the 49ers had much less to do with Jim Harbaugh and everything to do with some seriously inept front office management. And gotcha. a lot huh. of like, so you're so so you're saying Godfrey? Well, it's crazy that you would fucking bring this up. So you're saying that potentially Trent Baalke isn't the best person to run a professional football organization? Well, would would you imagine Alex, that, Alex? I was literally so I don't know if it, I don't know if it shows up in the track. I was I was in my head. I was like, can I get the name Trent Baalke out before he? Before no, he jumps the snap, so to speak, no, on me, and he, and he couldn't. He couldn't. And this is um, a torture topic this week because uh, my hometown's football team needs the fucking Jaguars to win a game next week to make the playoffs. <laughs> so, congrats, uh, Richard. I'm I'm down there in the mud with you. If you want to roll around a little bit, I will say they have done sillier things. I, they have beaten the Colts when they have had nothing to play for in Week 17 before. By the way, all right, let's there make is, it happen again. Um, let's do it. So to the point, um, this is this is part of the maneuvering. I, if I had to make a gut check decision right now, I think that Harbaugh's interest is probably staying in Ann Arbor and 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 building. And I think I think a lot of what came out of the Orange Bowl, not not the football part, um, is what Richard said is true. I don't necessarily think he wants to jump back into the NFL. Also, real quick, this is. Uh, the Falcons are in a bit of a, a permanent preseason for a little while, so I haven't been following the NFL as much, Richard. Raiders are good, but it's not a roster you would you would you would jump to to take over. Is that fair? Uh, I mean, they're you know, good. I wouldn't say that. I I wouldn't say that. I think they're solid, frankly. Um, I definitely think you can win with Derek Carr. I think they've absolutely proved that. I think the job that Rich Bisaka has done this year, frankly, to keep this thing together is, I mean, pretty insane. Yeah. I mean, he's done a really good job to not have this completely fall off the horse. I don't know if they're still in contention for the playoffs right now. I can't remember. Um, Were they playing on Christmas? I watched them. Yes. I watched them on Christmas Um, Day, and I was like They are in the playoff hunt. They're okay, in the playoff hunt. Obviously, they they just beat a surging Colts team, albeit one that like doesn't have an offensive line. Um, so it, the the fact that they've kept the thing on the wheels this so far this season, yeah, actually kind of counts for something. But it does seem that like it's been two years in a row where everybody said, "Well, oh shit, the Raiders." Like last year, the Raiders for like a six week stretch in the middle of the season was like the best team in the in the league, and then they got I think smoked by the Chiefs, and everybody was like, "Well, all right, that's done." So I know and believe Godfrey that the entire concept of Harbaugh Raider smoke is not a response to this Georgia loss because, mm-hmm. well, you mentioned it to us before that. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was maybe a minor contributing factor to uh, look out at the Georgia Bulldogs and see the gap between them and Michigan and realize, hmm, I won the Big Ten. That was a pretty good achievement. Maybe that's one to go out on. And to that point, Georgia, Alabama, still playing college football. They're playing on Monday night. These teams have played each other on this exact stage three years ago. They played each other four and a half weeks ago in the SEC championship game. They played each other in the regular season in 2020. They've played each other in the SEC Championship game in 2018. You get the idea. Uh, they tend to make each other <laughs> into <do> this. <laughs> very pass-oriented versions of themselves. Typically, the highest drop-back rates of, of each other's seasons are against each other. They recruited their rosters to make themselves mean bulldozers, but they're going to throw and throw and throw a lot in this game. Richard, I'm curious what you expect Monday night's game to actually look like. So, I think this is the most 
if Georgia is going to win, I think this has to be the most script, game script dependent version of the game. I, like, and I also think to an extent it's the same with Bama. Like, I, Alabama is not going to, in my opinion, assert their will and run over Georgia in this game. Um, they didn't really do that the first go around. Uh, what they did against Cincinnati was basically come out and say, you guys don't have it physically. We're going to whip you. And that's what they did. They didn't um, need to ever test those corners because no. if you can run for six yards a carry, why the fuck would you do the one thing Cincinnati's good at? Exactly. Um, I think on second watch, Cincinnati's defense played better than I expected them to, but that's purely in the passing game. Um, short of the long touchdown to who is it, Ja'Cory Brooks, um, that Bryce Young had, he, Bryce Young did not play well in that game, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think that Young, uh, Maje Sanders was getting off on Chris Owens on the right side of that offensive line. I asked a question before the game on either the Scheme podcast or the one I did with you guys if that offensive line is well and truly fixed. I'm not entire. I'm still not entirely sure that it is. Okay. Um. Uh, now, I went. I've gone through both semis and the the first one. Um, in the last day or two, I think people. I I don't think people realize. I I do think people realize how nuts. Bryce Young was in that first game. I don't think people realize like the sequencing of how nuts he was in that game, right? Because Bama goes down fourteen nothing. Was it fourteen or seventeen nothing? Whatever. Um, in that game, and then there's the long Jamison Williams touchdown pass. Okay, that's one thing. That's one score. That was the first of that five possession stretch. The next drive, Bryce Young on second and ten pulls the lateral play where he laterals after. The um after it looks like George is about to sack him, mm-hmm. they keep that drive going. They end up scoring, uh, because two plays later, sort of Georgia realizing the error of its ways, like doesn't really come after him and doesn't really rush him, which they did on the lateral play, which is how he sort of squeaked out. They don't rush him. They let him. They let him sit back there. He points it out and and he gets a touchdown. Obviously, we remember. A thing that we don't remember is the nuts fumble recovery that he had at the end of the first half Mm -hmm. where he was on that scramble. He fumbles. Jordan Davis strips it and he gets the ball back Uh, a couple plays later. He scored on that scramble uh, when he ran in. There's the pass that he had on. I think it was a third down where he's like falling down and he gets the completion up to Jaleel Billingsley. They scored on that drive. People forget the sequencing of his brilliance in that game. And what I mean to say is, can he do that again against this defense? Can you pull that off again? He is absolutely that talented, particularly with his legs after the snap. He's Mm -hmm. not exactly the best designed run quarterback in the country, but extending plays with his legs, buddy, he's scary good. Um, That's the one thing that I... I, I think about from Alabama's side on offense. Of course, uh, you're going to cover Jameson Williams because Darren Kendrick won the MVP award from the Orange Bowl, and Darren Kendrick got toasted twice in that game by Michigan's uh, wide receivers, and we sort of have forgotten about that because he had that interception, et cetera. Um, and the interception was a miscommunication or something for Michigan, for the record. Uh, 
Oh, you're talking. Well, yes, because the guy like had it and he thought he had it, and and then it, Darren Kendrick just sort of grabbed yeah, he it. caught it like he was running a, a route on air in warmups in the back. Um, of the oh, oh, yeah. Harbaugh said he lost it in the lights. By the way, fascinating. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so that's sort of so as far as how Michigan's. Uh, Jesus, how Alabama's offense and Georgia's defense stack up. Those are the couple things that I'm looking at. Um, as far as Alabama's pass protection, is that offensive line fixed? Georgia has got to find a way to get after the passer in a sound way. Um, they were sort of vacillating between flying upfield and sort of trying to pincer him, sort of like Auburn did, and not being able to get him on the ground, and just mush rushing and hoping coverage held up behind it, which it didn't. Um, People also forget the second half of that game. After Alabama scores its, I know, after Alabama scores its 31st point in a row on offense, I know, Alabama doesn't really do a ton on offense for the rest of the game. Now, they get the pick six, and that's when the dam really broke. Um, But I, I just, in watching that game back, they're not 17 points better than Georgia. They're not. No, and also and something something to note about the dam breaking, Richard, that I think is very useful. I, I was curious about this, and I thought we might have this discussion with the pick six. I have been guilty of this a bit myself, I and mean, we talked about it like you know Stetson Bennett's picks or what let him down in that game. They were important interceptions in the second half of that game when Georgia was trying to claw back, but according to our friends at GameOnPaper.com, who use EPA win probability, looking at the value of specific plays, uh, these were two of the most harmful plays of the game for Georgia. But combined, they lowered Georgia's chances of winning by about 21%. Um, yeah. As in, they, they were probably losing that game at that point, no matter what. The that's what we talk did, about. The interceptions did break the dam. But I guess the point is, you know, maybe Georgia needs a little bit more than just don't throw picks for Stetson Bennett in this game. Well, you know, maybe they do, maybe they, maybe they don't. Um, I, I think that... That's where that's where I talk about script dependency, right? In this game, you're they, they are they were trailing, were down in that game when all of that that pick happened. Um, you are you mentioned the amount of drop back. They, they changed the way they play each other, basically. Um, uh, Alabama is better suited to be a drop back passing team, but they were better suited to do it effectively with John Mechie, who they do not have. So you're going to be doing this in a little bit of a different way. Again, Ja'Cory Brooks, a very nice schemed-up touchdown by Bill O'Brien, give him his flowers on that one, scored that touchdown against a nickel, um, in, uh, the long one in the Cotton Bowl. Um, you know, if Georgia is able to stay ahead, if Georgia is able to not drop, have a drop-back passing game, what can they do? Georgia's offense, I think, with Bennett... I think Bennett is get, has gotten better. And I think Bennett deserves credit for really keeping this job, frankly, um, and not letting JT Daniels take it back. Um, you know, there was, you remember the one deep ball shot that they took that was severely underthrown that ended up, they get bailed out by pass interference. Okay, that was one thing uh, in the SEC championship game. But there was another deep ball that was another pass interference by Alabama that was very similar to the long ball he had to James Cook against Michigan, which was 
you know, it, it looked like it went out of the stadium for a little bit trajectory-wise and then dropped down. Cook ran under it, scored a touchdown. Uh, the receiver he was trying to hit, I think it was Burton, I can't remember. Um, he was not able to hit in the SEC championship game because of pass interference, but it was on a similar trajectory. With Bennett, I think you saw some of the stuff that they did in both the SEC championship game to get around Will Anderson and in the Orange Bowl to get around uh, Aiden Hutchinson, which is swing passes, wheel routes, um, in the SEC championship game, they did a lot of quick hitting stuff where they would do, they did this like three or four times. They would do like quick uh, group cut blocks. The entire offensive line would like literally hit the deck and group cut block and they would try to, you know, hit a quick game route. It's, it's a way to not have to deal with the pass rush and a way to try to beat coverage. But Bama, Alabama should have had three picks in that game. They, in the, I think it was like the first drive, in the, it, definitely in the first quarter, they, um, uh, th- there was a snap where a safety came down and dropped a pick. There was another one where Bennett, like, I mean, kind of like YOLO 500 balled one pass that was dropped. It was an interception that was dropped. I think it was by a linebacker. And then, of course, there was the interception that if Bennett had pump faked, frankly, if Bennett had pump faked it and thrown it deep to Jermaine Burton, it would have been a touchdown. But he instead is looking for, I think, Brock Bowers, and there's a safety there who is who is reading his eyes and eventually breaks on the throw when it looks like he's about to throw it um, and, and picks it off. So, look, what Bennett are you getting? I think it's all dependent on what game you get here. Um, does Stetson Bennett have to do this by himself on offense, or is Georgia able to alleviate uh, the concerns? It's funny because... Well, maybe not funny, but if we do a little self-reflection, the way that we think of, or that I think, me, Alex, thinks about Stetson Bennett is probably colored by the fact that since Jake Coker, basically, to win the playoff, you have had to have, like, that dude at Yeah, literally the Heisman Trophy. You've had to have, like, you know, it has to be a Tua or a Trevor Lawrence or a Joe Burrow or a Deshaun Watson at Clemson. Like, you have to have a dominant college football player who can just lift an entire team up on his shoulders and win games that way. I think that I sometimes think of Bennett in that context and in the context of like George's recruiting and development at QB over the years. And like, I think of him in like a Jake Frommy way, which brings up a lot of feelings for a lot of Georgia fans. I know, (laughs) but the thing is like, if Stetson Bennett were just like a spread G five quarterback, we would think, holy shit, this guy's awesome. Like the way he plays the game is absolutely awesome. If he wins this game for Georgia on Monday night, he's a great college quarterback in the way that like we have loved so many great college quarterbacks. It's just it requires it's a different kind of dude than like Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow. And we thought I think this is a royal we thought that four or five years ago that was what you were gonna need forever in oh, order yeah. to win this event. Yeah. And and Georgia might be about to do it with an awesome college quarterback. But just who isn't that dude? And that's fine. That's not saying he's, I mean, he's demonstrated he's extremely effective, but it's just a different kind of guy than what I now think you usually need to win this event. But rules were made to have exceptions. It's it's funny because, you know, it's like Georgia's got, you know, I personally believe that this Georgia defense will go down as the L- the 2019 LSU offense version where i mean every everybody goes pro pretty much i mean i I, like the entire front seven is going pro all of it like not in you know a couple of them not even starting 
Um, you know, the DBs will see. But you're going to look back and you're going to think, holy shit, about this defense in four or five years as they all matriculate in the pros and figure out and, and, and proliferate through the, the pros. Um, you know, they got pros at 21 other sports, other spots. Uh, you know, I think Georgia's offensive line is pretty unheralded, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they are sort of the nameless, faceless unit of this team. Um, having George Pickens back also limited in the Alabama game, but we saw what he was able to do on an admittedly underthrown ball in that game. We saw what he was able to do a little bit on Friday night. Not that they really needed it. Told Michigan to um, fuck off twice on one run play, which was nice. Uh, but you know, we know that Alabama is terrified of Brock Bowers. Nick Saban is worried about Brock Bowers. He said it yesterday in a press conference. Um, you know, there's that. I will say, and I, I think I tweeted about this, like Setson Bennett weirdly th- like does one thing that is like, well, shit. It's that layered throw that he has often to Brock Bowers over the middle, which is, you know, Bowers going going uh, up the seam and it's over linebacker in front of a safety. And he fits that in there like with the best of them. And Bowers at the catch point is good fucking luck, as is Darnell Washington, uh, the other tight end. So he was a fucking power forward. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in how Georgia's offense has gotten better in the last three weeks. Um, but, you know, they are going to have to be clinical in the red zone in a way that they weren't the first go around against Alabama. And in a way, frankly, that they kind of weren't on Friday night against Michigan. All right, Richard, that brings me to my my sort of base level question. If you have as much fatigue for this matchup as I do, and a lot of people do, I don't, I know you love it. Um, try and sell me on this in as generic a way as possible. So you're going to kind of have to funnel the expertise into very digestible sort of things to look for or items easily identifiable. Are we going to see anything new in this game schematically? I think specifically I'm thinking about probably Georgia's offense, but if I mean, any, it, it could yeah. be any side of the ball for any team. I don't want to lead you. So that's my first no, question. It, it, if anybody does some weird shit, it's going to be Georgia's offense. Um, I, I think, you know, like uh, uh, Bryce Young doing the the amazing is one thing, but that's not necessarily rare. I mean, we've seen him do some pretty crazy shit. But if anybody's going to come out and do something that I think is a little bit different, I think it could be Georgia's offense, which is uh, w- which had three or four weeks to sort of go back to training camp light, but also was facing a Michigan offense that isn't doing the things, or excuse me, was facing a Michigan defense that isn't doing the things that Alabama's defense is going to do, particularly with like team speed on the back end and, and coverage multiples and all that sort of stuff. So I say that to say there is stuff that they maybe actually could have worked on in the last few weeks that you didn't see on Friday night because, oh, also they were up 30-3 to three at halftime. All right, will Stetson Bennett play the entire game, injuries notwithstanding in this question? Yes. Yes. Okay, so we've killed, I mean, we've short killed of that Stetson Bennett, Short of Stetson Bennett, th- I mean, he would have to literally throw like four picks. All I right. think the JT thing is I think the JT thing is done. At this point, were people like myself right to harp on the reductiveness of Georgia's offense this year? Or is that is that you could just say we can answer it after the game, but like 
Um, I just don't see how this offense like improves or evolves at this point. In the I game. don't. They looked pretty good against Michigan, and well, and like fun good against Michigan. It's too. so know, but, like but it's then. so hard. I think it's hard to answer that question because of what that offense was asked to not or not asked right to do all season. That's my thing. It's hard to it's hard to answer that question. It's like a, because of how little I mean they never shifted out of no, second. No, that's year. literally what I was about to say. What this is I swear to god I was about to say the entire season it was like it was demanded of them to never get out of second. And it's 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 I get it, man. Nobody scored 20 fucking points on them. Right. Like it's just, you know, I get it. Um Last, so I I un, unsure Last one is, uh, and this is, again, a simplified version of sort of the, like, you know, daycare, carpool, pickup line, uh, in-laws, et cetera. Like, will Georgia just, quote-unquote, drop back and play zone on defense like they did and got killed for it against Bama? I I, I think you got to come after him. Right. Because you can't. The thing is, you have to tackle him. If you don't tackle him. You are fucked. But, but I think if you can get home, like Auburn did, if you can get home, like honestly, Cincinnati almost did at some points. Um, they're gettable. That offense is gettable right now. Okay. And it's definitely gettable without anybody on the other end of Jameson Williams. Um, but you've got to, fi- I will say, Alabama. Or excuse me, Georgia, uh, those defensive backs, they have got to figure out, because that is the weak link if there is one on the defense. Obviously, it's the back end. That back end, they've got to uh, they've got to be better in coverage, and they've got to be better in, and that's sort of the reductive way I said it. Like Kirby said after the game on Friday, he was like, yeah, we did a lot of the same stuff we did against Alabama. We just didn't bust. You know, There were no busts on the back end. Um, Alabama, the, the trickiest thing that I think Alabama does – uh, is a lot of the times with Jamison Williams, but they do a lot of bunch stuff. Trips bunch. Three wide receivers out to one side that are sort of in a triangle alignment right next to each other. Um, they will mess with who is the point person of the triangle. Sometimes it's Jamison Williams. Sometimes it's not. Um, bunches and stacks. You've got to be on it with with how you handle the distribution of wide receivers out of those alignments. Because if you lose... Jamison Williams, hint, hint, the 60-ish yard touchdown that he had in the SEC championship game. If you lose Jamison Williams, it's over. It's over. Different dude. Different dude. Steven, I have a question for you since you've asked questions. Yes, sir. And then I have one for Richard, too. You have said that the all-SEC title game is not necessarily good for college football as a national sport. The surface level case that a lot of people make about this is that the SEC keeps getting stronger and the national title becomes a hyper-regionalized event in some part because we just saw this. Maybe that makes it harder for the sport to grow. But almost everyone who's listening to Split Zone Duo, I think, we really should do an audience survey, but I think they already like college (laughs) football. That would be the first question on our survey. Do you like college football? We like college football, too, even though people sometimes think we're too negative. I went to a Big Ten school, and I don't feel like I would think any differently. Both. My first two years, it was an ACC school. And I don't feel like 
I will feel any differently about the sport on Tuesday because my, my team's conference had no chance of being in this game in retrospect. Um, and I like college football just fine in a lot of respects, in some respects, the way it is now. So why should I care as a college football fan now that we got the best on best game and that that just happens to be a pair of teams from the same Southeastern Conference? I can't give you I, don't an, think... I, 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 I can't give you an answer that's alarmist, and I think that's what people are looking for when they when they follow up with me on this. I can't. It, it, it's like greenhouse gas or you know anything to do with the environment. It's like I can't. Sh- you know, a meteor's not coming tomorrow to college football, but year over year, as we start to stack these results, you see trends emerge in recruiting and in you know. I don't, I don't, I, I guess the, the 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 distribution of wealth has gotten so lopsided in this sport that we are running the risk of a prolonged, consistent indifference in large regions regions of this country to the sport. I think that it is kind of fucked up that we're sitting here talking about a game changing tight end from Napa who plays for Georgia. We all know where Bryce is from. And I'm, this is these, these are not outlier events. Where CJ by the Stroud way. is from. <laughs> exactly. Like these are not outlier events. This isn't so much SEC. Nick Saban SEC. belongs to West Virginia. Yeah, <laughs> he kind of does. I, okay, I, you're going to put me on a tangent, but we'll revisit that in the offseason. My dream of him just being like, "Fuck it, one year with the Mountaineers. What can I do?" Um, this this is a problem because it's it's inspiring apathy. I think it's a problem because it's denationalizing the sport. I've said this before. I think we need a healthy West Coast. I think we need a competitive Midwest, which by and large, the Midwest has been competitive. I don't buy at all, like to go back to the Harbaugh thing for a second, that the result of a game against an exceptional defense and a very good overall roster in Georgia is some sort of neon fucking sign that says Michigan can never win a national title. I have strong faith in the pocketbook of Michigan. The, the wallet, the purse, the coffers, the fucking the, – the hollowed out bomb shelter filled with gold doubloons that Michigan alumni all have apparently, that NIL and Michigan will find each other quite well and Michigan could easily recruit think, in the new age. I think you and I have differing opinions on the University of Michigan's football team and its future. Which is weird, well, too, because what's so weird is like my entire bit throughout the SB Nation slash Moon Crew era was always like the anti-Michigan guy. I, I, I'm not saying they're going to be Alabama, but I am no, saying... No, 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 I know. I know. Like, if this was happening in any other conference, I would be saying the same thing. There, there's, a, there's a clear issue here. Look, I can't wait for this fucking game to be over so I can start taking a stick and poking at this Brian Kelly thing. Because I'm so fascinated by the concept of a guy who was head and feet out the fucking door when his program still had a puncher's chance of making the playoff. Because he was so convinced that he could not win a national title at Notre Dame. That's the only thing that we can draw from his behavior. So, Alex, I don't want to spiral here, and you can cut me off, but these are the concerns that I have. Alabama beating Georgia or vice versa is not going to end the fucking world next on Tuesday morning, but we are getting to, to such a glacier. Like there, there's inertia here. We have to address a couple things for me. First of all, I think that we are not the best people to interface with this question for different reasons. Alex, I mean, 
we run an appreciation machine on this podcast and we used to do it on a website. You, God love you, are going to find ways to interface with this sport that are creative, that are unique, yeah. that are uh, intellectually stimulating for you. Yeah. And also, I have a financial audience. stake in finding ways to interface with college football that right. are interesting. Iowa State versus Akron in the national title, we'd be all over that shit. Wall-to-wall coverage. Now, I say that to say, you are the choir here. I think I am a different choir in that I'm going to go, my interest is going to go where the football is being played the best. The football is currently being played the best at the highest level in one region of the country. Part of that has to do with the best coach of all time being the coach of one of the one of yeah. the teams. It just is. Um, now, you know, I think college football, college football, like every other sport, was wrapped up in a media rights boom. This happened in the fucking PGA Tour because of Tiger Woods and when Tiger Woods came about. Every sport went on a rocket ship because of how technology leapt in leaps and bounds in the last two or two and a half decades. College football is no different. Where college football is different is the timing of it. As college football took off, so did one section of the country greater than any others. Some of this stuff to me is unavoidable. And I think you tried to nationalize this thing that was becoming more intensely regional by the year and yet you still try to nationalize it. I don't think it's like it, people are like, well, is the playoff, you know, playoff expansion going to save the enterprise or whatever people at the end of the day to win a national championship, you are going to have to go through a Clemson, a Georgia, an LSU, an Alabama. You are going to have to beat one of those teams. Right, but... And to do that in this version of the sport, which is different from the NFL version, you have to have as much talent, comparable levels of talent, to both win your way into the dance and then beat them on a neutral field. Now, But here's the deal. The the, The thing that you're glossing over, and I think what you try to say about regionality is that the sport was more regional before. It was, but it was more balanced before. It was always a national Yes, sport. yeah, but that's, yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. The, 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 the best, re- the region that took hold, took hold when it did. Right. Now, the best kids in California is, also went to USC. The best kids in Texas also went to Texas or OU. Now, your point is well taken about where is doing the winning, and it's something that I've actually been pretty fascinated about. Let, let's give it five years and let's say Lincoln gets USC to where it should be. We're having a different conversation about the sport yes. because, as you said, the entire West Coast is energized. I personally think that if Rutgers was Alabama, we would have a very different conversation about college football because of where Rutgers is an hour away from as a, you I think know, you're right. as a pie in the no, sky. As a pie in the sky national power, we then college football would be the sport of the. It would be becoming the sport of the elites that is being taken from rural America. <laughs> that would be the top. I like. I, I say all that to say it. 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 But for me, at the end of the day, and I'm the choir. I'm a different choir. But this is always going to energize me because for me, this is the best version 
of the sport because I see the game differently from you two. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm a savant. I'm not a coach. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm trying to say that I watch the game in a way that gives me a very great appreciation for what these two and a great Clemson and a great LSU and a great Ohio State can do. I guess I like I, so, so I guess what you're saying there, Richard, is that you appreciate the fact that programs like Georgia and Alabama have concentrated the nation's best available talent into becoming powerhouses because then when they duel against each other, you're seeing the best of the best of the best of the best, and so the margins are much smaller, and it is similar to pro football in that instance. I don't give like it, I, like it that's awesome and I'm fine with that once in a while. I don't give a flying fuck about those margins when I my my entire thing is maps and money and the human psychology, the tribalism sure. and and the the organized religion. And what I'm like, seeing I, now is we're, I'm we're, just we're, I'm just going to choke be, all that out. I'm just going to be complete. And this is what I was getting at when Alex we, on the Patreon uh after the semifinal, the Patreon show after the semifinal. We were very clear that it better be 12 versus 5 in the first round, not 12 versus 1. Because if you put Iowa State in a first round game against Clemson, not this year's version that just played in the Cheez-It Bowl. I mean the one you're thinking of in your heads right now. You're going to get the same shit you got on Friday night. And you're going to complain about it again. I think that there's a tendency that some people have. I'm doing a lot of projecting on the show that I have to want college football in some respects to be like it was when I was enjoying it most as a kid. And for me, I think my favorite years of the sport were like 05 to 07. So that covers the era of obviously Vince Young and USC, like the tail end of Pete Carroll, USC and Vince Young unseating them. It covers up to 2007, that wild year including my childhood team beating its rival in their biggest upset in rival history. You had weird shit like Rutgers being good. Uh, and there was a pretty you know, this I think this was like the, the Bush push when USC and Notre Dame mm-hmm. around this time was like Michael Robinson's Penn State, Mario Manningham, Michigan game. I guess my point is that when best on best happens to be regionally dispersed, that's awesome. But that it may be impossible because of the stuff that Godfrey and I like to talk about about where humans are moving to in the United States for best on best to ever be regionally dispersed again. Because George Klyavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, was talking about this just the other day, I think with John Wilner. We've talked about it on several Splits Audio shows before. High schoolers in California are stopping playing football at rates that are disproportionate to the rest of the country. Who is we the might kid, just, Alex? We might just not be able to have it again. Who is the kid? It was on Twitter... He's a California-born player, I think in the SEC or maybe Oklahoma, was just talking about how you go to a Pac-12 game and they just don't give a shit. That was basically the TRDL. <laughs> I'm serious. That was the TLDR of his fucking tweet or interview, soundbite, something. It was floating during like the right before the, the playoff games. I can't remember where it was. We talked about visiting UCLA. He talked about visiting USC and just the apathy. And then the kid apparently visited like some SEC schools. So... There's work to be done, like and and I I can't holler it into existence. People have to care in California. People have to care in Michigan more. And, uh, people have to care differently in Michigan. People, yeah, I was, yeah. I people have to care a little bit differently. Yeah, I, like it's the funniest thing, and I, I like I, you know the audience of this podcast. I don't know if they're aware of this because I, I, I but I think I have mentioned their show. 
the numbers on this show have been in a spot over the last six months that I think all of us are are pleased with. You know the least listened to downloads by downloads of any show we have done in the last six months? It's the Pac-12 preview episode. Oh, yeah. We got our ass kicked. We got our ass absolutely kicked yeah. as far as downloads are concerned. And that's the thing that I think about. Even, God love you, the people whose ears are listening to this right now, who are the choir that we are preaching to. The numbers, the numbers bear out. We people. also did an all Oregon State episode on Patreon. <laughs> um, no, I that would was love one of my favorites. I, We're going to do more of those. I, 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 I want an angry UCLA or I, like I want an angry Arizona football fan to dox my parents' house instead of Mississippi State. Like I want <laughs> that energy, and it just it, it doesn't exist. And I'm I'm old enough to remember Desert Swarm on the co- on the cover of my Sports Illustrated. Like. It's just, yeah. All right, we're spiraling, Alex. Get me out of here because this is where well, I was going to monologue is, for two hours and pass out. This is what we're doing out. right now in the college football press is have an existential crisis about you know what it means, what something means for the sport. So thought that we had to contribute something to that this year. We are going to talk just a little bit more about the game itself. We're going to lump vested interests in to the national championship game talk this week. Uh, records are out the window at this point. Doesn't really matter. I, I have no idea how because the three of us have, have done individually. I, I think everyone's done. You know, <laughs> He's saying think, that because he got his ass kicked. I think we've all done like, really about you similarly. Winning. Like we've done fine, and the public has been crushing it on Twitter <laughs> votes. Uh, so let's do it. Some prize picks, over unders. Bryce Young, three hundred eleven and a half passing yards. He had four hundred twenty one last time. Uh, what did I put in the show notes? What is the number? Three eleven. Oh, I'm going over on that one. So I was fa- I'm I, going just re- over, I realized I, I, I didn't plus. understand that Alex was calling it and so I've been fading Alex on in our little in our little game here. Um so I'm going over. I I wrote under on our sheet but I that's cuz I thought we were still competing jockeying, you know, to not be last place. Yeah, he's going over. He had 421 yards the last time. Okay. Quite fair. I'm going over because that's that's how they that that's I think that's Didn't how they We just say they pass the a lot when they play each other. Yeah, I was going to say this that that's how they're going to have to skin the cat tonight or Monday night. Very fair. Brian Robinson Jr. ran for over 200 against Cincinnati. He had 55 on 16 last time against Georgia. The number here is 77 and a half. Yeah, he had 55 on 16. What does that tell you? I'm going Brian under. Robinson, I, yeah, I'm going under. Cincinnati made that young man look like an all-American. They could not tackle him for shit on Friday. It was no, so quick, it, Richard. It was so quick that I was like, I had my Cincinnati shirt on. Uh-huh. I was like in it, and then like it was just the, it was like they walked out. And they're like, "Hey, I heard your corners are great. Fuck you. We're just gonna run the ball." <laughs> and I was like, ah, "God damn it!" Like I knew in two After drives fir- that game was over. I yeah, it that at the end of the first quarter, I was like, "Jesus." Yeah, yeah. You really don't have to test the integrity of some fucking great corner if you can run the ball six yards a clip yes. um all right yeah so we all went uh we all went under for obvious reasons there they're gonna pass the ball they are going to pass the ball i think that that is extremely likely uh and the big one the one that i think may, will have maybe the largest bearing of any of these on the game though i like i said last time i do not think that georgia just needs to avoid turnovers think they have to do more but prospects has the over under on stetson bennett interceptions at 0.5 uh, it was two Shot. in the SEC championship, and it was three in the 2020 meeting between these teams. It's a question of do you think he can play turnover free for about 30 no. minutes of possession? No, he can't. Richard's like, saying it, no. Okay. 
I Alex. heard Nick Saban say at the end of the game, as crystal clear as day, when you go static as far as what the coverage picture looks like, Stetson Bennett will dice your ass up. But when you change the picture on him, when you rotate safeties down, when you do something he's not expecting, he can get got. That's how they. That's how they. They should, frankly, have picked him off three or four times in the SEC championship game. And I think that if this thing breaks bad, it's because Stetson Bennett's uh, Stetson Bennett has given Alabama the ball. So we all went over, except Alex, because uh, the public yeah, also what? went resoundingly over. Yeah, uh, Alex I'm went going under. Yeah, but you went under. Alex, and you know why I'm going under. Explain yourself. Oh, because I've got I've got a reputation to uphold. Uh-huh, that's that's yeah. all it is. What, at the beginning, look at the beginning of the season. There's, uh, I know we've got a lot of Georgianers, Georgia listeners to this show, and and thank you very much uh, for listening. And I know that I sort of positioned myself in an anti Stetson Bennett way, not anything against him, just more against like we were talking about earlier, thinking Georgia needs to be recruiting and developing and having that guy at quarterback, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I need to be positioned to be the one who believed in him when he wins sure. this game on Monday so that I can be not seen as kind of a hater of this fine college athlete. Uh, I'm going under. Also, I think that I'm going under. I will say that maybe it won't be under, but I don't think it's going to be more than one. I don't think he's giving them a multi-interception game uh, in the way that he has in the last two. I think he's going to be up to it. Not sure they're going to win, but I think he's going to be up to it, and we'll see what happens on Monday night. You've been hearing I honestly think there's a, there's a turnover in him whether they win or not, to be honest with you. Maybe. We'll find out. You've been hearing us do these pickums all year. Price Picks has been a great partner of the show this season. Easiest way to get it is to go to wherever you get your apps, search Price Picks one word, and download it. It is the easiest way that there is to play daily fantasy sports, operational in most United States states at this point. And you can use our promo code when you sign up. That's SZD. There's a deposit match, and you are supporting this show and helping us a lot in future advertising ventures, which is a big deal for our little business to show people that we've got an audience that's interested in using the things that we advertise. So thank you very much. Thanks to Prize Picks for riding, riding along with us for this entire season. And let's see what happens Monday night. Gents, should we go to the bottom of the sport since we have been at the top? Not really the bottom yet, but what we suspect might soon be the bottom. The bottom regionally? Latitude-wise, latitude where is Hawaii? Is Hawaii the most southern point? I'm not sure that it is. I don't know that it is. is, is, Ooh, it, is a lot of, is of public education's just dueling right now. I, You're lucky I didn't say longitude, and it's because I remember latitude goes around the uh, the globe and longitude long longitude. Shout out to well, Miss Mercy Jones. It's probably you because like, Jimmy Buffett teaches it Florida. Well, the the <laughs> southernmost point in yeah. the United States is the Florida Keys. I'm pretty damn sure about that. Uh, in the continental, and nope, Hawaii is south of there. It is not just west of there, but it is. It is Boom! There. Yeah, there ha- it is. Hawaii, in terms of its north-south alignment, uh, is about center cut from Mexico, like the, in the cut. yeah, in in like the lower middle part of Mexico, sort of. It's it's pretty similar to Cuba and Puerto Rico uh, in terms of its north-south alignment on the globe. All right, uh, Godfrey, as you like to say, you like mess. Uh, we got one. Oh. We got got one. We got one in Hawaii. And I think that this sucks because we like to talk about Hawaii as a truly singular presence in college football that is not only playing at a weird time of night for most people, but is playing a fun brand of football and is doing things in a way that is good different rather than uh, not going well at all different. 
And unfortunately, I think things are going in the the negative direction. Uh, do you guys want to put a timer on me and I can attempt to speed run the explanation of exactly what has happened at Hawaii over the last year and a half and then we can talk about it? Yeah, I, I'll just say, just like speaking in a civics, uh, a high school civics sort of part of discussion, like I, I don't, Hawaii's fucking far, man. Like Hawaii's far from California. Go on. In a, in a way that I think Thanks, that Richard. people, like in a way that I think people like don't, realize really like it's i think people realize it do they does everybody do like listening I, not realize that hawaii is far i think everyone thinks hawaii is far it's literally like not far close from to california anything. far fucking magnets how do they work i'm just saying man how long would it take me to get to get to hawaii uh, probably like it's a long drive it's a very long drive to the, it's yeah, a you, long 15 and a half hours. richard you would oh, to go yeah. from new york or dc to hawaii you would fly to lax Yes. And then to Honolulu is probably what you would do. Um, I'm going to go to Hawaii. My barber actually uh, spends every holiday in Hawaii. Your barber's a Pretty smart sweet. man. Not yes. about life. Probably charges a lot. Uh, I am going to go ahead and put a stopwatch on myself, and I'm going to go. go through the last year and a half in Hawaii before we talk about it. I'm going to try to do it quickly without tripping over too many of my words, but I have made notes. This is the recap today. Starting in three, two, here we go. Todd Graham takes the Hawaii job. 2020 after sure. Nick Rolovich leaves for Washington State. Did someone just sigh? No, no, no. Nope. I said sure. In oh, that, yes. like, yes, I remember that happening and being like, takes yeah, the Hawaii okay. job. Uh, he has hovered around 500 for two seasons. They played in the bowl in 2020. They would have with a six and seven record this year, 2021, if COVID cases had not led them to not play. Memphis was already in Hawaii uh, and did not go ahead and play that game. Hawaii was 18 and 11 in Nick Rolovich's last two years. So it is worth noting that they have been behind their previous level by a little bit. They have not been a solidly winning team. They have been 500 ish for two years. Also worth noting that Todd Graham has done things a certain way his whole career. Uh, one of those ways is hiring family members. Uh, his son specifically, Bo, is the offensive coordinator at Hawaii. Hawaii was 27th in offensive SP plus in 2019. That was Rolovich here. Uh, father and son Graham take over in 2020 and they go down to 75th from 27th. Uh, and they are 84th at the most recent update for the 2021 season. Yeah, you know, you lost Cole McDonald around that time, but that's a, a pretty big drop. Uh, and when you have a shitty offense run by a family member of the coach, hello, Iowa, that is an interesting point for criticism of the head man, in my opinion. Uh, in early December, SF Gate reported on Discord within the program. Multiple players said that Todd Graham had made clear to them that he was using them as a stepping stone to get to the NFL. Of course, Todd Graham is a standout for leaving jobs really, really quickly. That's even, how you get to the league. Sorry, sorry. Even yeah, from Hawaii. Even oh, in an industry fuck. where everyone moves around, Todd Graham really does this quickly. He's left two different head coaching jobs after exactly one year apiece: Rice and Pitt. He told his pit players that he was leaving via text message that he didn't even send himself. He had a staffer forward that text message onto the team, so like secondhand texting. Lots of people in the industry, coaches and administrators too, will tell you that they are not really big fans of Todd Graham and that he likes to leave places in manners that are not very nice. So that he would talk about Hawaii this way is to me completely believable, even though him actually getting an NFL job from Hawaii 
does not seem that believable. Uh, one player told SFGate, me and a lot of others can truthfully say Graham has killed our love and passion for football. Uh, that report also described Hawaii players not even wanting to play in the Hawaii Bowl. Ultimately, they did not. And Graham wanting to play it himself in order to get a $20,000 bonus. Player says, and I quote, I see why he wants the bowl game so bad. It ain't for the seniors. It ain't for Hawaii. It's for his reputation and the extra bowl game check. So that doesn't sound great. And especially doesn't sound great that players felt cool saying those things to a reporter, even though it meshes with, you know, everything you know about Todd Graham or, or everything you think you might know about him, let's say, okay, you know, maybe that could, could all be drummed up, could just be one report. Uh, and maybe it is, but it comes with a massive transfer exodus over the last few weeks. That's the starting quarterback, running back, leading receiver, a whole bunch of defensive starters. Todd Graham's son is on the team. He's transferring. That's I'm not going to make anything in particular of that, but you know, People get their jokes off. Uh, You've got Todd Graham putting out statements about how the portal is affecting lots of programs right now. The athletic director saying that the amount of transfers is very disappointing, but uh, quote, disappointing, however, not unusual compared to many other schools around the country. That's bullshit. It is definitely unusual to lose this many players in the portal, this many important players at one time, right after a tell-all article about how much a program sucks for its players. Uh, And I think the widely speculated industry gossip is that they just can't afford to pay what would be like a $1.3 million buyout. It's 425K per year on his contract remaining, and there are still three left. And so I guess Hawaii just kind of needs to hope and pray he gets an NFL job, but I'm not sure that he is. And that's been four minutes. I'm ending my stopwatch. Oh, they're also playing. The stadium stadium that has been. Their stadium is condemned. Saltwater intruded on. Their stadium has been condemned. They are playing at what is essentially a practice facility that has been refashioned into sort of a stadium. And that's the situation with Hawaii. And man, it seems like they're going to like 0-13 or 1-12. Remember, they get an extra game. It seems like they're falling off a cliff, and I'm afraid it's happening very rapidly. Well, I mean, How- they've been I mean, they've been at that cliff. Godfrey, pre-Timmy Chang Hawaii was not exactly we weren't exactly writing home about that program. Um, the June Jones era was a resurgence. It's always been difficult. Um, you know, we we did the interview with Nick before he kind of lost his fucking mind or told us he lost his fucking mind, I guess, publicly. Um, this is this is especially bad because you have to work not even three times as hard, maybe four, literally four or five times as hard to maintain consistency on a roster. By the way, this was before the portal was a thing. This was before transfers were a thing. Like. This, uh, the idea to Richard's point of, hey, Hawaii is far away is actually very astute because you're going to go that far away to play for an asshole and to build and and lose and you don't have a stadium. This is, we may be looking at like a serious valley here. If I'm Hawaii, maybe I'm just doing this to hang tight. Maybe I'm just doing this to literally like, all right. There, so Aloha Stadium is under construction. There's a crazy headline out there that if you've, if you've Googled this, that it's going to take 23 years. That's not technically true. They're building an entire stadium slash like entertainment area and redoing it on the, on the big island. There's like a sewage thing and a plumbing thing. It will take tw- – it's a 20-year project is basically what it is. The stadium will be up I think in a couple years. But for a while, they're going to be playing like – you can pull it up right now on their Wikipedia. Like it's – it's basically a practice field that has had had some seats put in around it. I mean, it looks like an FCS. It, actually, that's not true. I've been to a lot of FCS stadiums that are a lot nicer. James Madison would be fuming right now. Um, they would be. 
it ain't great, man. It's it's just not, it's not great. Uh, my only take right now, until I hear something else, and and you know, it, this this might be a fun one at convention. It just like are, are are they just sitting it out for a minute and just like playing bad football on purpose so they don't have to eat a buyout? That's a question mark. Uh, like I, I I don't know. Yeah. So let's talk about the job because I think that not thinking that you could go and like woo a good candidate right now could be a reasonable contributing factor along with the buyout to not get rid is, of this guy. It is a because hard this place shit's to over. hire too. Yeah, it is. It's hard. This to shit's hire over. Um, a lot of people would probably be hard pressed to believe that it could be that that undesirable a job, given that Hawaii is Hawaii. Everyone in Hawaii is the, the Hawaii people are known for being incredibly gracious. The scenery is the scenery. Mm-hmm. But how do coaches view this job? It's not that like okay, so I get the paradise thing is confusing to people because it's like oh god, I would go on vacation here, but you don't live there. Island culture is very different. It's very isolating. They still have – the state of Hawaii is a state in the union. They have problems there. It's not ideal. There's crime. Uh, there's it, – it, it's not like if you took a honeymoon to the Bahamas and everyone was really nice to you at the resort even though you're just some dumb white folks from the mainland. Like that's not what it's like. Uh, the other thing is that you have to convince football players to go a long fucking way away from their families, a long, long way to a very isolated place. That is extremely hard. They've never really solved this riddle. The fact that they're FBS, I think, is a testament to the program working their ass off to, to remain that way. They jockeyed around the Mac, or sorry, the whack, not the Mac, the whack. That'd be hilarious if they're in the Mac. Um, I think the Mountain West likes having them. There was all this crazy potential talk because, you know, one of the main industries in Hawaii is Chinese tourism. There was this like uh, talk for a long time. This is one of Larry Scott's weirder fucking things. Was oh that, like, God! Do you remember I, this? I know. Do you remember this? Yeah. This yeah. like basketball thing where the Pac-12 was going to take a lot of basketball to China, and it was like, could Hawaii be a Pac-12 candidate? This was a yeah, serious ask the conversation. Rockets about how that goes. Like they, they this this was this is not like a rumor. People had these meetings. Um, the whole thing's a fucking mess. It's really hard to play. It's really hard to recruit a good FBS program to the island. That's it. It all. It, it may all. It may always be like that. It doesn't have to be this bad. The stadium thing is like a big issue down there, and they're kind of embarrassed. And I don't, Alex. I don't know if this is the wrong move. He's an asshole, and you hate it for the kids. No, it might be the if especially if it the might be the only thing work, they can do. It might be the only thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. But it the just sucks because thing... it feels like they are going to be a one or two win team at some point very soon. The funny thing to me about Hawaii is that Hawaii has actually done the thing that more or less that every that you guys all sit here and say about all these low level G five teams or whatever, which is basically be like, Hey, we're just gonna run weird shit, man. And that's all, I mean, schematically. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all we're going to do. Oh, all, the triple, all the triple shit that we talk about, that was born in Hawaii. That, yeah. Paul and, Johnson, and Kenny Matalolo, and Jeff Munkin all met at Hawaii. Like, we're going to do the, th- like, you are going to have to fly a long way, because we're far, to, to come play us. Um, your, your body clock is going to be absolutely fucked. And you're going to come out here, and you're going to play this style of football, 
that you don't really now that it's a little bit harder to say that after the last five or ten years of of schematic ingenuity but when we were talking about timmy chang chucking it across the yard you know at one at, at one o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. yeah man yeah i like so i dig that hawaii has sort of always like always known <clears throat> in a sense what they are rollo was the only coach that was running run and shoot Run and shoot is an like I feel it's so weird that I have to explain this because it's the offense I actually grew up watching because when June Jones was the head coach of the Falcons, run and shoot. Richard, can you explain run and shoot real quick? Like run run and shoot is an offense that is essentially it's like it's complete it's like disco. It's like completely dead now, but it was wildly popular. Yeah, I think it's it's dead in its own, but it does like have its elements. Um, that are in first of all the the biggest element that I think carries over to today is that wide receivers read defenses yeah like that's the thing like there's no like yes it's drawn up on the chalkboard but the wide receivers get five or ten yards down the field they read the defense and the receiver and the quarterback have to see the same thing so that the ball is going to the place where the receiver is also going it was four now there are yeah. elements there are elements to that that now exist in some of the modern offenses that you see, but it was on steroids in, you know, Warren Moon, Oilers. 90s, yeah. That's what I grew uh, up know, watching. Warren Moon, Oilers, it's ba- and, and so Jones. At the time, it was a novelty to have four, but it was a novelty to have four receivers, one back. It was a novelty to have that many guys in motion that often. And to, like, when it was described on television in, like, RIP, the John Madden sort of broadcast era by, like, guys like Pat Summerall, it was, like, heresy, like, they're just going to run to a point on the field, like that's how they're going to determine the pass, and that's 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 what they did. All this shit, it's God. As I say it out loud in twenty twenty one, it's insane because it's like the fu- like you can find pieces of that in fucking every offense now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
the body clock thing that Richard mentioned, by the way, about Hawaii being kind of a tough place to visit, I actually think there is some empirical backup for that. I keep a spreadsheet um, of some historical betting data just because it's interesting to me. Do Most not of the time- get Justice Mosqueda started on the body clock thing. Oh, my God. So Go typically, on. you know, home and road teams, they each cover about 50% of the time. I think over the over this century so far, it's like a, a shade over 50% of the time the road team covers. Hawaii covers like 48 or 49% of the time in their home games and only like 43 or 44% of the time in their road games. Because they're um, uh, it's usually late. It's, it's usually a night Hawaii game, which means it's extremely late for us. Is that what you're saying? Point is that even relative to expectations and like what markets can catch up with, there's a there is a marked difference between Hawaii at home and on the road. Obviously, I know that six years team. ago I covered at Levi Stadium in San Francisco a late kickoff between Oregon and Cal, and I wanted to fucking die in the second half. I and it was one of those games where Sonny Dykes is still there, so they were just throwing fucking three yard outs and stop the clock approximately two million times. I think I walked out of that stadium at like two thirty in the morning Pacific time. I was so fucked. It, it's a sad story right now at Hawaii. I hope that the players there are able to have a good experience and that the team can be better at some point soon. It is interesting, Godfrey, kind of as a retrospective. Before the 2020 season, it was retread season in the Mountain West, remember? It was Gary Anderson went to Utah State. Adazio went to Colorado State. Brady Hoke went to San Diego State. Graham went to Hawaii. Uh, good for Brady Hoke. That one worked out. The rest of them... No. Did not no more retreads. Out. Give me something <laughs> weird not, as shit. Or, no, I don't know. Re- retreads can work. I think Jeff Tedford's going to win 10 or 11 games at Fresno next year. But uh, They're exempt. From, I put them on the exempt list. We already yeah. did this. Run the triple, yeah. you fuckers. But when it doesn't work, it, it doesn't work. And I guess that's the same for anything. Uh, gents, there is one other football game this week uh, that I feel almost a little bad that we haven't gotten to until now. But there's another national championship game. Uh, to the extent that we're going to call anything a tasting menu this week, though, I don't really think you have to do a lot of taste making for a national championship game. It's the FCS title game. We Bobcats this week. I'm actually wearing a North Dakota State home field shirt right now, but we Bobcats this I feel, week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I just got done railing against the monotony of the FPS. I don't know if I could endorse it's North worse. Dakota State. Yeah, It's arguably yeah, fuck worse it, fuck at lower it, levels Bobcats, of sport. Fuck it. Yeah, North Dakota State is playing Montana State and going for its ninth FCS title in the last 12 seasons, counting the spring season that just concluded earlier in 2021. This this game is at 11 a.m. God's time, central time on Saturday. It is on ESPN2 in Frisco. I think that it is actually just about the biggest Cinderella matchup you could possibly ask for in an event structured like the FCS playoffs are at this point in the tournament. The only way it would feel bigger is if North Dakota State had not laid an egg in that spring season, but that's still the gold standard program in FCS, even more so. Even more so, by the way, once Sam Houston and James Madison are gone. Oh, leave, yeah. Like, I, I, I think that North they're Dakota gonna State— They're going to mount Union. They're going to mount Union. I've been FCS. wondering about this. Like, those are the two best FCS programs positioned to do something about North Dakota State. Um, they have been the ones that have done something about North Dakota State the last, you know, 11, 12 years. It's, it's been— just a bunch of North Dakota State National Championships, except for one by James Madison, one by Sam Houston, and they're leaving. So this is going to get to be a point where, uh, yeah, like some someone else is going to kind of have to emerge as the foil. Might be Montana State, 
it's a great story. Godfrey, you've done a little bit of like talking and reporting over the years with people in like the Montana, Montana state football world about that rivalry. Haven't you? I did it a little bit when I first started. Um, and then Ryan Nanny actually did the battle of the badlands when we were all doing long forms. This is gosh, going on 10 years ago. Now it feels like, um, it's intense. Um, if you ha- if you have no affiliation with this, this is definitely the lesser program in the state historically, and so that combined with the fact you're going up against NDSU is, um, I think Alex put it correctly, this is as this is as David and Goliath as it gets. Um, I, it does strike me as we're talking about this gentleman that there's a clog at the very top of the FBS because of a monoculture that hoards talent. And there's a clog at the top of the FCS because there's a monoculture of system and North Dakota state has really been the blueprint for, we have a system. It's not necessary. I mean, I'm not, you still have to have good football players at the FCS level to plug into it, but it's the system that's dominated. Um, and I mean, they have also like, remember they've also found, Carson Wentz and Trey Lance. Yep. You know, like, you know, they, they've also had some hitters. Bunch have, of running backs, too. Some and a bunch of, uh, uh, yeah, no, there's yep. a starting offensive line. I don't know if he's starting for the Titans right now. I interviewed him last year for Athlon, Dylan Raiden. Uh, Dylan like, Raiden. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, they turn Dylan out talents is from, like, the- I think it's some nowhere town in southern Minnesota. I mean, they went out, they find odds and ends who are talented football players, and then they fit them into their system. So I think it's. It's a, I guess it's somewhat similar to the FBS. It's this is definitely something I want to drill down on in the off season because I do think there's, you know, it's not like they're resource heavy. The blueprint for how to succeed in the FBS, it's almost like it's a mirror reversed image on how to succeed in the FCS. For Montana State's part, they are like, they are the clear, clear underdog in the story here, but they haven't really played like it at all on this journey they and they don't exactly meet the profile so i think it's kind of fun when teams have different profiles to them they have won this tournament before they did that like back in the 80s they've won a division two title they've won an naia title they were kind of a climber as a program for a long time um on the other hand they haven't been back to this game since 84 and in the back half of the 2010s they kind of stop being the little brother that they had historically been in their main rivalry with Montana. What they've done in this postseason has sort of been shocking because they beat Sam, they beat Sam Houston and then South Dakota state, which was both, both finalists in the spring season by a combined 37 points to get here. They have basically dominated playing bully ball all season. They don't do a ton through the air. They just run over you, and they play really good defense. Uh, And they have dominated. North Dakota State struggled a little bit more, almost lost to James Madison in the Fargo Dome, but now they're here. So I'm looking forward to it. I think that it's one of the better FCS title game matchups that we've had in recent years because for the most part, uh, there's been a pretty good sense except for in the games where they've played James Madison mm-hmm. that North Dakota state was like, just going to go ahead and do what it does when it gets to these games. Uh, I feel like Montana state, despite the underdog profile is like clearly a very physical team that bit, that built itself kind of similarly uh, to the way North Dakota state did. So it could work out. Uh, NDSU has you know, very little at this point left to prove. They did get a bit of vengeance by beating James Madison because JMU ended their like six title streak, the first interruption back in 2016 uh, in that same semifinal in Fargo. So we're going to see. It'll be fun. 
Uh, and I'm wearing a shirt, Richard, right now that says North Dakota State on it. Do you know where I got it? Homefieldapparel.com. It is. Great website. Also, I think that the Homefield Big New Saturday Season 3 is coming up right around the corner. I know that. I've seen the lineup. There's a lot of good color schemes there. Montana and Montana State are having a release this upcoming weekend, as I understand it. You, are you copping? What are you copping? I think that I might get a Montana State shirt. That'd be fun. I mean, I'm a mercenary, as I've told you. So I can wear a North Dakota State shirt on Tuesday because I'm like you go it, at the Whole Foods Montana in Pittsburgh. State on Wednesday. New Year, same you. You guys are missing out on opportunities to have good conversations with people on the street who think that you went to the same school they did or something like that. That sounds like a scenario I would work my entire life to avoid. Well, that's a personal choice. Uh, if you go to homefieldapparel.com, use our promo code SCD. That will get you 20% off your first order. If you just Google Split Zone Duo t-shirts, you will see that Split Zone Duo t-shirts come right up on Homefield's website. Uh, great way to support the show and an extremely comfortable green fabric. Steven, Richard, anyone have anything to add? Sign us off for the last time of the 2021 season. I think we're about good, aren't we? Hurry it up. Let's get to the offseason. We can talk about important things.